Today on Sporting Dog Talk, we have a guest who's been a friend of mine for quite a few years, um, is is most no, well known in the dog world um, as, as a deer dog guy, um, shed dogs, uh, game recovery dogs, and he's kind of carved out a niche there, but Jeremy Moore has, uh, has really sort of uh, found his way in this market as a dog trainer, as a deer hunter, uh, as an entrepreneur. He's done all kinds of cool things. He's been all over the place. You've probably seen him on North American Whitetail TV. You've probably read about him in a ton of different magazines. I know I've written about him a couple times, and I'm super excited to have him on here. So, Jeremy, thanks for being on this this episode today. Thank you, man, for having me. I really appreciate it. So I, I wanted to talk to you uh, about something right off the bat because there's there's something I see. I you know I interview dog trainers all the time. Um, I'm I'm working with them, and you have a a style. Um, it, from my perspective, is sort of maddening because when I ask you, you know, hey Jeremy, how do you how do you teach a dog to heal? you immediately start thinking about, well, what dog are we talking about? What What's the situation? How old is this dog? How long have we worked with it? What what kind of dog is it? And you look at dogs differently than some trainers. Some trainers are like, this is how I do it. This is how I do it. This is how you do this with this dog. And and like a blanket statement for obedience training or the, you know, the upper level, you know, blind retrieves or whatever. But you, you look at dogs philosophically, uh, you look at them in a way that's like the the individual dog and the individual day-to-day situation you find yourself with that dog. And I, th- I think that's a fascinating training style. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I appreciate you recognizing it because I think some people it's confusing probably to a lot of people. Uh, my approach, my thoughts, my beliefs when it comes to dogs are, I just, I really think that some trainers have a style of training and the dog has to fit into it. I'm a believer in that each dog is probably a little bit different. Some are a lot different. And my style, I have one goal as a trainer, and that's to get the most out of the dogs. And so the way I believe I do that, I think I have my best chances of doing that, are by setting my training style up to fit certain dogs. So I have to be flexible. Um, and so I, I think that's the best way to get the most out of them because I just know, I mean, I've done it long enough and I've done and worked with enough of them to realize that they are different. They're not the same. And, and I think it's, uh, sometimes I think it from a trainer standpoint, we have to accept and be okay with the idea of it's not necessarily always going to be on my terms. It's not going to always be my way. I think it's like dealing with people. Uh, you know, I, I, I liken the idea of dog training stuff a lot of times to, like human stuff. And I, I look at it like, you know, I'm a teacher and, or I'm a coach and like, I, I've, I've got a background in sports. And so, and my kids play sports. And so I look back and I go, the only way a good, a good coach wins like consistently is they are constantly making adjustments based on their personnel who's there, who's on their team. And each one of the people on their team probably takes a little bit different approach uh, to get the most out of them. Some kids you can really push. Some kids quit when you push. Some, you know, so I think dogs are the same way. And I, I don't think people think about dogs that way. I think people think of dogs and they go, these are like little robots that you just, you buy them when they're real little and they're cute. You send them off to a camp and then they come back and they're, they're magically transformed into the same thing. I just don't think it's that simple. And so my training, just my, my the idea behind my training is kind of built around that. So that that's an idea that I'm kind of obsessed with um, that you brought up, you know, about, you know, puppies being little robots and they're all going to turn into the same thing. And I, I read something years ago. Um, I can't remember where it was, but it was talking about how we generalize with animals all the time, but we don't accept it with people. Um, we shouldn't. So, it, you know, somebody will say, well, lions can jump or a, a leopard can jump 15 feet up into a tree. Well, some leopards can, some right. can't, right? right. Or, you know, it's not like saying because LeBron James can dunk a basketball that everybody can, right. you know, just because one human can or one certain... And you're, you're right. We look at dogs that way and we go, well, 
I got this well-bred lab puppy. This is what it's going to do. And this is how I'm going to train it. But when you get, you can take two dogs out of the same litter, which should be, you know, cookie cutter genetics, everything. And they're different, right? Absolutely. I've got two of them right now. And it's a great point because I was actually, as soon as you started saying that, I I was going to make this example. We've got a brother and sister right now that genetically they're identical. Uh, They have, their culture has been very similar. Their upbringing has been very similar. They have very, very staunch differences as far as like how they work, how they handle everything about them. And so my training with those two dogs is real, real different. Like it, it's, it's, it's dramatically different. The, 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 the thing about it is like, I go, like I pride myself on the idea of over years and years and years and years of dogs. Now I don't have any that failed. I don't, I don't consider any of them to have failed. And I hear people talk about dogs that just don't make it. My problem with that is, is I think people give up on dogs and the reality is, is it's not a fail on the dogs and it's a fail as the handler. It's a fail. We didn't, we didn't figure out how to communicate with them. They will do it. Like that's the one nice part about all dogs. They will do it. It's a matter of having them understand and we don't speak the same language as them. So as a trainer, we have to, we can't explain it to them verbally. We can't explain it to them in English and expect them to understand. We have to maybe make some adjustments on how we get our point across to them. And, and, you know, that gets it. Then you start digging into like styles of training. Um, so, so do I have a style of training? I do. Is it set in stone? Absolutely not. Like day to day it changes. Uh, but it also has changed greatly over the last years. I mean, like I'd say probably over the last five years dramatically. So if you looked at me training a dog six or seven years ago versus today, yeah, you'd see some pretty big differences, I think. But the foundation of it and the, like the core idea behind it, I will say, has not changed greatly. It's the some of the micro things that I've adjusted. So, give me an example of something you know that, that five years ago you would have done or not done, and today is different. Uh, patience. Um, you know, my I think patience is a huge one. I used to have. I still have lack of patience. It's a struggle I have. I, I wake up every day and I say a prayer. And one of the parts of it is I pray for more patience because I need it. Uh, <laughs> now that's that's dogs and outside of dogs, so it's applicable in all of life. But I think you know, f- five years ago, I probably put more pressure on myself because of timelines and time frames. Uh, I I looked at. I looked at how long certain things were taking. I looked at how old certain dogs were. I used that as benchmarks. It created a lot more stress on me. Now today, I don't care. I just, I just don't care. I have clients that care a lot, and I, I, my biggest struggle is not, not with their dog. It's with them understanding the idea of patience. Yeah. Um, so, but I've, I'm really lucky that I have a lot of, I have a lot of clients that I train multiple dogs for, and so. They understand, they get to a point, they get it. It starts to click. I talk about things clicking with dogs, like you do something over and over and over and they might not know how to do it. And then all of a sudden I figure out the right way to explain it to them and it makes sense to them and they do what I ask and they perform. And I always say that it looks like it clicks, like the light bulb goes on. We have these light bulb moments with dogs. I'm looking for them all the time. And then I try to build off of them. Well, with people, it happens too. and, And after a while, I have, I have, you know, lots of different types of clients. And, um, there was one that is one in particular recently that, you know, really asked me a lot of when do you think the dog's gonna be ready to come home? I got tired of it. I and I'm not short with them, but I, I get it, but I got tired of it. And finally I just said, I don't know in a couple of years. And the look on their face was, what? <laughs> I said, if I tell you a couple of years, I know it'll be less. So I'll look like a hero. But if I tell you six months, nine yeah. months, three months, whatever it is, and it doesn't happen all of a sudden now I'm I'm under, you know, delivering on a promise. And so I won't do that. So that's a, that's one I've become more patient. I need to be a lot more patient. Like I still am. I still suffer from that. I think everybody does, but that's just one example. You know, I know that, I know you're a hardcore bow hunter. Uh, You and I talk a lot about deer and we, we live that lifestyle too. And when you're, when you're talking about your evolution as a dog trainer and how you're learning to just sort of, uh, 
let, let each dog play out under your guidance and you're, yeah. you're reacting to the dog dogs reacting to you and you're working together to bring out that potential. When you said that, it, it reminds me of how I feel about bow hunting now. And I know you do to some extent too, where, you know, it's when you're younger and you get a trail camera photo of a big one or something, you want to charge in there, you want to hunt them right away. Totally. You know, you have a night off, you're going to go hunt, you're going to go do it. You're going to go into your best spot. And now I, I feel personally, and I think you do too, that it's, it's more of a, it's you play the long game and you're like, okay, I know this deer lives in this area. I'm watching the weather. You're waiting for the right conditions. You're, you're working on your spidey senses a little bit. Some night they might tingle and you go in, but you're not forcing it. You're just letting it play out how, yeah how you feel like your best results going to come. And it's not, it, it's, it's an exercise in patience. It's not just charging in there to make something happen. It's just like this to, to be as rewarding as possible for you and for to, for you to have the best chance of success. It just has to sort of play out. And that's kind of what you're saying with training dogs these days, huh? Totally. It's bigger picture for me. I, I think bigger, I, I, I think, I think I see, and I, I, my vision is more big picture with everything that I do now, but that doesn't mean that I'm not super micro. Like I, I I'm looking at, cause I understand that all these little things are what gets me to the big picture. It's just the idea of combining and patience with it to understand it just takes a while. You know, the, I like, I think you're right with the analogy when it comes to the bow hunting part. And I look at it and I go, there are the other part that to add on that, the other part of me is like over the last, I don't know, years uh i have changed greatly with you know what what gets me going too when it comes to the bow hunting part like you know i used to be get a picture of a buck go figure out how to kill that buck and be super aggressive towards it now i now and not only do i not do that because i just don't i think it's counterproductive at times i think it ends up screwing me up more than it helps me oftentimes and so but that's like that's on the on the the right now level but on the bigger level Sometimes I get a big deer on and I go, I don't know if I want to kill that deer yet. Like I might just wait a while and see if there's another one to kill. And, and so it's a couple of things that a, I'm really blessed with the idea of, uh, over the years, my opportunities have become a lot better. Like I just, I have a better land. I have more opportunities to hunt. Uh, I can be pickier. I, I don't work a job right now that I only get a week of vacation that I have to go and hunt. And so all these different things have added into it. That's specific to bow hunting, but it's also, it, it also is true with my dogs. Like I, I, you know, my standards and levels change and adjust as the years go on. And sometimes I get too much on that. And then I realize that I've got a dog right now that I'm so worried about her steadiness. I've just, I've worried and we're not, not worried, but I've built in this steadiness, steadiness, steadiness to the point that I've become so rigid with the training the dog is just flat out struggling a little bit with confidence to pick was was struggling to pick stuff up, and so but I was so freaking worried about it being so steady and like not don't want to take yeah. steps backwards, and then finally I realized boy she's on pins and needles with me and this I'm big on feel trust connection like that's to me uh, I have to have that if I want to get the if I want to get the formal training stuff and the the X's and O's I have to have that stuff first so. I got so, so I had this dog so on pins and needles that finally I just said, you know what? I'm going to treat her like I don't care about training. Like I just, whatever, let's have a little bit of fun. And all of a sudden the dog starts picking it up for me. And I go, I had to go to the extreme. I had to go from, from one of real worried about these formalities and, and, and make sure that everything was polished and clean. And, and then I went to the, I just don't care. It can be a mess but the dog made a retrieve. And so I got one thing, but I sacrificed the other. And so I'm a big believer in balance, finding balance. And that's, that doesn't matter what you're doing. Sometimes you're going to go to the left real far and achieve something, but you're going to give up on the right. And then when you start getting that habit formed on the left, move back to the right and start balance. And eventually you find yourself in the middle. I don't, I don't think there is like, I think you always have to be finding the middle with everything. Well, and it, that point's so important. So when you bring up this dog who you, you veered pretty far on this steadiness training to the point where the dog, you know, was, was nervous, wasn't, wasn't confident, wasn't comfortable, that kind of situation, recognizing that and going, man, I need to back off, uh, kind of reset with this dog and take a new approach. That decision 
is what separates somebody like you from a lot of, uh, you know, amateur trainers, because, uh, you know, I see this a lot and I've been guilty of this with my dogs too. You, you just want, you want those dogs to end up somewhere so bad, but just pushing and pushing a lot of times isn't the right way to get there. And so many times, you know, the patients you mentioned and, you know, making it fun again, working on the, the little confidence and, you know, cause that dog wants to work for you. That sure. dog wants to be steady. She's just, you know, she, she just got to a point where mentally that dog was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And that's, that's no, it's no bueno. Right. right. Um, I think about when you were telling that story about her, um, my, my wife and I are coaching our little girls in basketball right now. So we have six and seven year olds that we're teaching like the fundamentals, you know, they have eight foot hoops and it's like nine little girls. It's chaos. And yeah. there's another set of twins on their team, uh, just these sweet little girls, but they're very shy. And so I had, um, we broke up into groups and they were, they were shooting baskets. Um, and you could just see when they'd make a basket and you'd, you'd, tell them they were rock stars and, you know, high five them. You could see them just open up and try harder. Like they were, if, if you would have just went the wrong way a little bit with those little girls, they would have just went so, so much further in the wrong direction. And it's just like that little bit of what, yeah, for sure. And that little bit of encouragement and just saying, Hey, this is fun and you can do this. Like providing you, you're providing that dog the chance to succeed, and now all of a sudden everything changes, and that's so important. Totally. So there's when you say that you're providing a chance to succeed, 100%. You have to build off success with them, and that's why that's why you got eight foot hoops. You know, that's why you don't put a <laughs> seven year old kid on a ten foot hoop because chances yep. of them making it aren't very often. So what do you do? You you adjust and you make it. You simplify things to find success, and all that stuff is what you're going to build off of forever and so you know the with with younger dogs and dogs get deceiving because like how old, how old your daughters they're six okay. six so like six years old it's easy to see that they're six years old they're little uh they're you know they're 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 six year olds but yep. if if they were 18 year olds six year old minds and skills and 18 year old bodies like they look like grown-ups they, they kind of look like boy they should be doing why are these why are these bigger girls playing on eight foot hoops and just doesn't seem right. Right. But here's yep. the thing when you've got dogs, so it makes sense. It's easy for people to understand when you walk into a gym full of six year olds, you don't expect Bobby Knight to come out with the whistle and really get pissed. Like you're not going to be throwing chairs and stuff because they're not setting screens and cutting. Cause you're looking at him and you're going, they're six years old. They're little kids. Let's just have them have fun and enjoy the game. The problem is, is when you've got a six-month-old dog, an eight-month-old dog, a one-year-old dog, a 16-month-old dog, they look like dogs that are five years old physically, but they have mentalities and mindsets of six-year-old kids playing basketball. So we visually see a dog and expect to get dog response. And I look at it and I go, the dog under two years old to me is a puppy. And so I'm going, they're puppies in dogs' bodies. And so I have to recognize and realize and be okay with it. And I'd, and that's yeah. where that's where it just goes back to this idea of when you stop, when you start, when you are able to not care about the time anymore, whether it be age or weeks or whatever it is, when you stop worrying about that, things go faster. They just always yeah. do. Yeah. And so you, what, what you brought up, I want to, I want to touch on a little bit. Cause I always tell people, um, if you, if you get a dog, if you get this puppy at seven weeks old, give it two years of training, just devote yourself to two years, baby steps, all the different obedience before you move up to the, the higher level. Um, but just, just plan to commit those two years and you'll have a rock star forever. You know, you have to keep up with it after that. But am I right there? I mean, are we, is, is that ballpark? Cause you said, you know, a dog up to two is still like a puppy. And I've, I've kind of always felt that way. Yeah. Well, I think, and I think it depends on what you're looking ultimate, what your ultimate goal is. Like if we're talking about a dog to get into the field, uh, to work with us in the field, whether we're doing upland, we're doing gun dog stuff, we're doing shed dog stuff, tracking stuff, whatever it is. I really believe that our training is part of it. Like we're setting them up. That's our, that's our school. Like that's, that's, that's a kid going to school. That's where they learn a lot of the foundational stuff. 
the real world is the hunt. And so the real world is like for you get out of school, you go get a job. Like you have to live in society. You have to sustain yourself independently. So that's the hunt. And so what I always say is you need some experience in order to do it. Like you can't train a dog. You can't train a dog for six months and then put it out in the field and go finished gun dog. Because the reality is, is you need some seasons because there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen that you just cannot and won't simulate in training. So you prepare for it. But the real experience, like a tracking dog, especially the biggest, the biggest way to accelerate a, a tracking dog to really be a tracking dog is to put them on lots of tracks. Bird dogs, I think, needs a lot of birds. Uh, gun dogs need a lot of birds shot over them. So it's experience that you take all of the practice, the foundational stuff that you've worked on in those, say, first two-year window, and then you start to trans transfer it. You start to transitionally impl implicate it into what you're doing in the field, and then it's still training. Like yep. I have people that go, man, dog's been with you for a year. I should be ready to just go run it and hunt it. Well, to a point, but I think the reality is, is when you take it that first year or two, is training like that's continued yep. training and so yep. um but when you when you when we talk about all this stuff well, now we're starting to talk like years like we're talking a couple of years and there's a lot of people that are listening probably right now that are probably going oh my god i gotta wait that long well there's a little word that we talked about earlier patience like it yep. is it's the most important part and once we can get better with that whether it be with dogs or kids or life uh Think, things are a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. Well, and I, you're, you're so right. And one thing that I, I keep getting from you and I've, I've known you long enough, so I know this to be true. Um, the, the one thing that I think that we, we haven't touched on that people need to understand is, you know, when you mentioned that dog earlier that you were getting a little heavy handed with and trying to push her and she was, she wasn't responding well to it. Part of that comes from just our personal ego, right? We want a dog that's a rock star, and you you're, you're at the point now in your career you don't you don't really have anything left to prove dog training wise. You're you're super established. You have awesome clientele. You're I think that's probably one of the reasons why, even though we didn't touch on it, you said you've changed so much in five years. There's there's nothing you you don't need to prove yourself you don't need there's there's no ego that has to get into the way of the development of these dogs anymore and so you're you've kind of uh, ended up in this good place where you allow this to happen the way it's supposed to be and so much of what we do i mean i was when when we hunted together a few years ago there in northern wisconsin um i was terrified to have you meet my dog because i'm like this guy's a professional trainer and i'm this idiot he's going to think my dog's this total shit for brains and but at the same time i'm like who like who cares like wh right. who cares what other people think like just you got to try to get your dog where you need it to be um so you're happy with it but i remember thinking that i'm like oh i don't want this guy to see my dog like she's going to do a bunch of stupid stuff and he's going to think she's <laughs> she's terrible you know and that's that's just on me that's just dumb yeah i you know so so first off, I'm flattered by you saying that. Um, I have to disagree to it with some of it. Like I, I think, you know, I know for a fact I'm nowhere near as good of a trainer as I, I, I could be or should be. And so it's constant. I'll never be, I'll never be as good as I want to be. Um, I don't think anyone is. I, I think I'll always be able to get better. And so I, I, and I need to. Like right now, I need to. I need to continue to grow as a trainer um, in, in so many areas, but the reality, like with, with this little dog that I, you know, you had mentioned and I, and I just don't want it to be confusing. Like you had mentioned, you know, you running into this roadblock with her, got a little heavy with her, not heavy handed, like force wise. What my problem was is my frustration levels. I got pissed. Like I I'm a human. <laughs> and so I got, I got kind of pissed because I went, why is it, why is she not doing what I'm asking her to do? I know she can do it. And so as soon as my mentality went to, I got angry because I was disappointed in her. I was frustrated probably with myself. Um, I knew I was probably forcing some things like timing wise, not necessarily like physically this little dog, you can't, yeah. I can't even look at her wrong and, and she'll, you yeah. know, it's yeah. just real soft. And I, I, 
I like soft. You know, a lot of people talk about soft as a, a negative. To me, it's a positive. I enjoy it. I like it. I've, I'm a big believer in the least amount of pressure in order to get a change and get the job done. And so I don't like dogs that aren't real soft because it means I might have to put more pressure and I don't like putting pressure on dogs. So yep. uh, I, I I think, you know, my biggest, the biggest thing when I started getting heavy was I was getting pissed myself. Well, my dog reads me better than I can read it. And so as soon as I'm upset, as soon as I'm angry, she senses that before I probably, than anyone around me does. And then all of a sudden it's a counterproductive thing and it snowballs in the wrong direction. And all of a sudden she starts to shut down more. Well, what does that do to me? I want to get this stuff accomplished as she's shutting down more because I'm getting pissed. Well, what's that going to do to me is going to get me more pissed. And so now all of a sudden we're really snowballing. And, and I, I think there's, there's points where, um, this is another thing that I probably have gotten better at over the last, you know, while and, and, and I need to continue to improve on it and be conscious of it. But I, I think that self-awareness and understanding when things aren't going good, sometimes the best thing to do is stop. Sometimes the yep. best thing to do is take steps back. So my fr- instead of letting it continue to amp up, my, my mindset is always like I've changed it. I talk to myself <laughs> like I'm weird that way. Like I'll, I'll, I'll remind myself of things and I'll say things in my head. And sometimes my answer or my, at that moment, I scream to myself, stop trying to push this and instead find something to end it on like just just yep. end it on something so it can be it can be as simple as going back to like the most elementary thing in the world just get a win and get the hell out of here and so yeah those yeah. are those are a lot of times i'm reminding myself of that constantly well that's i mean and i, I didn't mean that heavy-handed like you were smoking yeah. you know no, smacking every dog earlier no but I, I you know i'm i'm referring to just pressure and w- yeah. what you just said, what you just talked about there, uh, about getting a win, recognizing that situation where you're just about to drive it into the ditch. Um, what it reminds me of is, you know, my little girls, we, we fish all the time in the summer. We go up north to the lake. We fish all the time. And they want to cast and set the hook and catch their own fish. So we're doing a lot of uh, throwing swimming jigs for northerns and bass and stuff. And it's hard for a you know, a five or six year old to do this, uh, but they want to do it. And so I'll, I'll do everything I can to make sure they can, but sometimes it just doesn't work out, right? They get frustrated. They can't cast, they cast in the trees, whatever. Then I start to get, you know, ticked off. And what I see in that situation, it's like when you're working with a dog, it's like, I know in myself and I know in my kids now, when we hit that certain point, it's time to just, you know, put the boat on shore, go look for some agates, go skip rocks, go catch some frogs, reset, like just, yep. just set yep. the fishing rod down, go have some fun and, 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 and get that win. Like you said, it's stupid. It's little things like that, but it matters so much to, to your, uh, you know, your temperament, the dog's peace of mind, the dog gets a win out of it. And it's just a, uh, it's it's the best way to go about it, and it, that's that's a day to day thing or a week a week to week thing for sure, right? Absolutely, it's ongoing, and and it's 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 essentially like it's just like you described. It's it's salvaging something. I'm a I'm a big believer that you're always they're always learning. We're always training, so we have to keep that in mind. That's a mindset that you have to take on as a trainer. But it's also something where I think I'm always looking to gain something. I'm constantly always looking to gain something out of everything, every opportunity I have. And so sometimes gaining stuff is just simply not going backwards. And so you can salvage uh, an otherwise lost session by just getting something out of it and learning, probably me learning from it more than the dog. And then figuring out next time, how did I get myself in this pickle to begin with? Like usually when dogs struggle, it's not the dog. It's usually how I set them up. So if I can get out of it, because I know I made a mistake, I set something up wrong, we're just struggling, salvage it, get out without taking steps backwards, and then learn from it. So the next time I go back to doing this, I go, how come I got in that spot? There's this definition of an insanity, doing something over and over and expecting different results. Well, Jesus, man, when shit doesn't work, change up. Like you, so if I have a setup that isn't working and I'm trying to achieve something, I'm an idiot if I go back the next day and try doing it again. So instead I learn from, and I, I kind of break it down and I go, 
how do I think I got in the position I got into? And then tomorrow when I do it, I'm going to set myself up to take a step back and build to be able to get to the point that I wanted to. And usually when I start thinking about that way and figuring it out, I can make it happen. The other thing that happens is, is, you know, we're talking about when things aren't going well, when things do go well, this is another, another thing that you have to check yourself and kind of, I reminded in my head is things might go really well for me for a day with a dog and I'm working on something and boy, they're just nailing it and they're doing really well. There's an, there's an inherent tendency in me and I think every other human when things are going good to just keep going. So what happens is, is when you get into a session and things are going really well and I go, wow, she smoked it. And I got to the, I got to my goal. When I go into a training session, I usually have a little bit of a goal in my head, in my head of what am I trying to achieve out of this thing? I might get there and I get there earlier than I thought. And I go, wow, awesome. Now it's a point where I have to measure and take in my mind do I push her again or push that dog further and try to get the next thing out of it? Or do I go, awesome, end it, be done, and build off of it tomorrow? And a lot of times we get so excited about the momentum that we've built, we keep going. And then all of a sudden, you pushed it so far without really thinking about it, preparing for it. And now all of a sudden, you went from a really good session to you caught yourself in a real pickle and you're in a jam and you go, Damn it. Now I'm like, now I, re- not only did you give up what you gained in it earlier, now you're back in the same position of a potential issue with getting some success out of it. So I think it's, it's, uh, it's having the, the ability to assess it constantly. And it's a real fluid thing. It's gotta be ongoing. And when things are going well, figure out when do you stop? When do you end it and, and be like, Hey, that was a great lesson. We'll build off it tomorrow. When things yep. go like, when things go cluster right away, you go, how do I avoid that in the future? Salvage it, get out. So that, what, you, what you're talking about there, um, it reminds me so much, not, not to keep going back to this bow hunting thing, but think about, oh, there's, to me, there's a serious parallel here between shooting a bow and training a dog. A lot of people I know, a lot of bow hunters I know, they won't shoot all week. Like let's say it's August, but they'll they'll go out Saturday and they'll shoot a hundred arrows to make up for not shooting Monday through Friday. And you know, the first twenty go pretty well. Then their arms start to get tired, but they don't want to admit it and they're having fun and they're trying to cram it in by arrow seventy. Mentally they're shot, physically they're not doing that well. And to me, I I'm always like, go shoot a dozen a day. Or shoot six arrows a day and just have good quality short practice sessions. And same thing with a dog. If you think you're going to get a puppy and only train every Saturday for three hours, you know, 10 minutes into that, that dog's going to be like, I'm bored and I hate this. But if you, right. if you have, you know, 10 sessions a day that are one minute long or three minutes long or whatever, and you just have that dog doing these little things. So whether it, whether it goes great or it goes south, it's it's just this short little um, good lesson, and if it goes bad, there's there's not a ton you're losing by having that little lesson go bad. Like you said, you take your steps back, you start over on the next one, and you give them a chance, and you tweak your program a little bit so you don't follow into the trap that that you did on the last one. Right, and uh, I think that that point. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's, it's easy for us to say, cause we understand that. And it, you know, it's hard. You got a lot of stuff going on in life and it's, it's easy for me to tell somebody, Hey, train your dog 10 times a day for one minute or something. People go, well, I'm busy. I have kids, whatever. Right. Like, yeah, we're, we're all there. We're all busy. We all have kids. Some of us have kids on the way. We have a lot of stuff going on and you can find, you can find time to do that. And it's, it's, it's necessary, right? Totally. What do you got a kid coming on the way? No, you do though, don't you? Oh, yeah, I reminded myself. Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. Man, um, I hope but- to God I don't have a kid on the way. Um, my wife throws litters, and I don't need. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't. I, I don't need any more than that. Um, you're, you're right, though. Like, in when we're talking about this parenting thing, here's what I tell people about raising dogs: is it's no different than raising kids. And like you, when you raise your kids unfortunately it doesn't work if you if your mentality is going to be bring the baby home and then sit down with your wife and say well what do you got going today what do i got going today tonight when we're both home at 5 30 let's set aside 10 15 minutes and we'll work with the kids like that doesn't work that way no nope. when you bring kids home life changes and the kids become part of the life 
And I don't set aside time to raise my kids. It just becomes part of our life. And so I look at dog training the same way. I, I don't think you have to set aside 10 one-minute sessions. I think you can figure out how to build sessions in to stuff you're doing no matter what, and now it doesn't sure. take you any time. It's the only way I get It's the only way I get dogs trained is because I don't set time aside to train dogs. I figure out how to build it in to everyday stuff, and then it doesn't take any extra time. It does take more work. It takes more thinking. It takes more execution, but so does everything. Yeah, I, we should clarify that, or I should. It's, it's a commitment to being as efficient as possible. So when you feed that dog, you're working steadiness. You know, yeah. when you go in and out of the doors, you're working, you know, when you're, when you take a little walk at night with them, you're working heel. I mean, it, you, you can build so much of this in, but it takes a little yeah. discipline. Like you yeah. have to, you have to say, I'm doing this and you have to have everybody in your family doing that. And yeah. what I, what I wanted to talk about with you, um, that, that kind of peels off of that is, you know, time management and and this sort of entrepreneurial spirit that you have i'm i'm obsessed with self-made people i think i i hate when people complain about this country and say there's no opportunity you know blah 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 life's too hard bitch and moan there are so many opportunities if you're driven to succeed out there and i don't know if we'll talk to a better example in this podcast of that than you uh cuz you have a billion different things going on. Um, you've got the dog bone business, you're training shed dogs and game recovery dogs. Uh, you've got the hoed egg thing going on now for the deer world. Uh, pod, you, you got your own podcast. Yep. You've got uh, mighty pet, this project going on. You guys, that's, that's one thing I've always been uh, super impressed with you about since I've known you is I've watched you, you like not be content at any level, you're always, you always got something going on. Every freaking time I talk to you, you're like, Hey, we're working on this new thing, or I got this secret project in the works. And I just, I want to know how you, how you manage it. Like how, how do you manage your time and yet stay driven to keep making sure that these various projects are successful? Man, that's a great question. Uh, I, and, and I thank you for that. I, you know, it's tough. Um, I think it's partly like, so, so for my family, like it, we have, it makes it easier. I think it doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier because our family is so involved with everything we do. Like it, our, our, it's our life's like our careers. Um, a large part of our careers is, is so connected to our lifestyle. So I look at, you know, what we're, what we're doing as a family, what we're doing, my, I've got a, a business partner, Scott, and you know, Scott, well, um, yep. what, he, what he does and he, how he balances life and, and the business, like it is kind of crazy. And I, I think that it's just, it, it's totally a choice. Like, it's not something that I will mirror your sentiment when you say like, I love this country. Like, I think our country is the best because I don't know anywhere else you can do this. And the reality, but the reality is, is we can do it. Um, we have the opportunity to do it. And I think a lot of folks want to do it. The difference I, that I have found and, and have had to remind myself of regularly and I continue to is the fact that ideas are really good and great. And there's a lot of people that have really good ones. It's really hard to execute them. It's really hard yep. to do them. So like last night, it was 1230 uh, when I came back to my house my wife was in bed working on some papers like she was on her computer no she's she's pregnant like she's gonna have a baby in a couple months and so like on her plate right now she has so many things and so when I come back for you know I was up here I don't even know what time I left I was probably up here about eight um I had come back up for to see her and talk to my son and and then I went back down to the to the shop and I worked next thing I knew it was 1230 and I was back up here. And so the the reality is like that gets old, but it all but I've also come to realize who else is gonna do it? Like that that's that's the nice part about when you're doing what we're doing. Like we 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 choose to drive our own bus. So I better not complain about having to do a lot of work when I when I'm the one who's lining up the work. So yep. I get, I, you know, it's just something that I think, you know, for me, it's never really been an issue in my mind 
Um, I've always been okay with it because I have my, my back. I, I used to work for people. Uh, you know, I, I, I consider myself a really good employee. I worked construction. So right off the bat, it's like you either work hard or you don't make it. Um, my family is all construction background. So like it was all about being efficient and working hard and that was how you found success. And so I did that out of, out of school and I did that for years until we decided to make this leap and, and try to try to start our own company with some ideas. I think part of the reason we had success was we had products that were unique and different and, and there was, you know, some creativity to it as opposed to just trying to replicate something that was already out there and, and try to out market them or whatever the, you know, whatever, there's a lot of tactics to, in business, but we, our success has been because we provided something that's unique and, and somewhat new. And, and that was the, the niche part of it. And then from there, it's like, then you got to just add on all the other stuff that businesses need to, you need support financially, you need support marketing wise, you need all those other parts and pieces. But for me, it was like when I worked for these other companies, I had some really good bosses. Like I had good owners of the companies and I, I literally would work whatever they needed, however much they needed, what, because the rea- when it was all over and done with, I knew they were going to take care of me and they did. Yeah. I also worked for a company, the last company that I worked for before I did this, that didn't do that. And they were, we worked very hard as employees and me and a group of young, young, real ambitious uh, people we worked really hard. We knew the numbers with the company and they did very well. They made some really poor decisions business-wise and they essentially handicapped us to the point where we just couldn't do our jobs anymore. And, and it was, so I went like, I, I left that going, boy, I'm going to learn from, I'm going to take, take from this and I'm going to go first off someday. I'll probably have to hire some people. I'm not going to be like this to them. Like I have, because I, I want people that worked for work for me to be like I was when I worked for an employer that I, really would have done anything for because I think that's what it takes. And so I learned, you know, what not to do as a, as a business owner. And I also learned what, what does motivate people up because it motivated me and I try to replicate that. And now like the reality is, is like, I have no one else to blame but myself when it comes to how much stuff we have going, because I can make a decision. I can say, let's not do as much stuff but that's, I'm not wired that way. Like I I just, I have so many more things I want to do. Um, and because I have the support of my wife, because I have the support of my family, because I have my partner, because we have such good partners. Like we work with just, we work with, I think you got to surround yourself with people that are similar and that's what we do with our partners. And like we fuel each other. I mean, it gets, it gets to be, there are times where I have to like really take a step back and go, okay, I have to prioritize some things. I have to make sure I don't do everything I want to do. I'm not able to. There's just not enough time. But becoming more efficient is how I get more shit done. And so yeah. I'm just trying to figure out ways of doing that. And um, because we have, I mean, you know, a lot of the stuff we do, and um, we just have a lot more stuff that I want to do, and I think we can do. And the reality, here's what keeps me going: when I get messages, when I get emails, when I get like weird emails out of nowhere that are just, Hey, I watched live with spry series. I'm watching the mighty pet series. Uh, really want to thank you for that. Getting a ton out of it. And I go, cause we, you know, that's a, that's a time on our end. That's all it is. When you can hear as many people that respond back to us and thank you for it. Like it's really easy to get messages of people that are bitching. Like you can, that's not hard. You know, people complain about a lot of stuff really loudly um, you don't always hear and see, and it's a reminder to me too, of when I get good customer service on something, I make sure that somebody within their chain hears about it because I go, man, that was an awesome experience. And so I value that as a consumer. And so I look at it and I go, when we get those messages, when we get that kind of following, um, that's enough. That's enough reward to me to say, keep doing it because uh, you're helping people. And I think that's, yep. that's what we want to do. I mean, that's, I, I always talked about recently, we do workshops and stuff with dogs and dog trainers. And I've come to a realization after doing these workshops, I'm not in it for the dogs. I, I'm more in it for the people. Like I enjoy, I love working with dogs, but I can't touch very many because I just physically am not set up that way. I can touch yep. a lot of people and ultimately impact dogs that way. And that's how I think we can best leave kind of our mark. 
So I think that's fascinating. I think people would assume that you get into what you're doing because you just want to be around dogs all day long and that's that's what you're wired for. But that point about educating people and, and getting people the correct information, it's it's so valuable. And I think um, you know, there's a lot of negatives going on in this world as far as the social media and the amount of exposure we have to random idiots out there. But if you look at it, just the negative, you see that. If you look at the fact that somebody like you is out there creating a video series, teaching people how to train their pets in a positive way. Um, if you look at the amount of information that's available, the amount of inspiration that's available, um, you know, somebody that's sitting there and says, well, I could never start a business. And then they listen to you and they go, well, this guy's got kids. He's got 17 businesses going on. He's training dogs for people. He's got X, Y, and Z. I could do that. And I, th- I think that it's, it's so neat to see that. I, th- I think, I think our exposure to that is it's good for everybody. And one thing that I, I like about the fact that you brought that up is because you, you're in an interesting position because you create products that you sell. You've got your dog bone line. You've got you've got physical products that yep. you guys sell, but you're also just selling like the you like you are part of the product. You know, people will come to you to train, but more importantly, people will look to you as a qualified trainer. And that's like that's a weird place to be because it's not like somebody's paying you and saying, hey, do this. Like you're doing this and you get the benefit of being out there in front of people and winning them over. They get the benefit of free content that teaches them what you worked years and years for. And I I can't stress this enough. I think that I think that's amazing. And w- way back when you started talking about that, one thing that that crossed my mind that I hadn't thought about before. I grew up in a little town in southeastern Minnesota and a ton of my friends lived on dairy farms. And they worked harder than anyone I know. Like anyone who's who's milking cows, especially back then, they were working so hard. And I always joke about this with dog trainers because it's it's there's like a parallel there because you can't really get away from your business. Like you you guys are traveling, you're bringing dogs with you, you're doing shows, you're meeting buyers, you're you're busy, you're on the road, and your business doesn't go away. Like there's nobody coming in to totally take over your business. And it's sort of like when you're, when you're a dairy farmer, like you don't get away from that. Like you, you can hire people to help you, but that's yours. And it's like a 24 seven thing that's there that you have to mind. And that's, that's kind of how your business is, but you probably wouldn't have it any other way. Would you? Totally. It's exactly that. And, and I, I think, you know, for us, the dog part of it, here's, here's what, Here's where I think, you know, and I, I don't know that all dairy farmers do it because they love milk. I don't know if they do it because they love cows, <laughs> but I, I know why I, why I've, why I got to the point where we are right now is because I love, I love working with dogs. Like to me, that's my enjoyment. It's almost my release. It's also why I won't scale that part of our business because I've seen it happen too many times where as a trainer, you overload and it's a snowball. It's a slippery slope when it comes to kennels because volume, everyone wants to be growing and, and, and volume creates a need for more overhead and more overhead means more volume. And I just think it's counterproductive at times. So I, I personally look at the dogs part of it and I go, that is the part that I love. And if I get to be too much of that, I predict that I may not love it anymore. If I don't love it, like I sell training products. And like you said, I'm glad you brought it up is the information is really important and I don't get paid for that part. And that's okay. It's my business philosophy. It's the idea of, I feel like we, we have come up with developed offer products that I think work. They're limited. There's not a ton of them. I don't have a gigantic line of stuff. It's stuff that I think works really well. And I'm going to show you how to use it. And the reason is, is because I think there's some people that send dogs off for training and I'm not saying that's bad. It it works for some people. It works for lots of trainers and kennels. It doesn't work for me. And I don't think it works for everybody. So it's for the person because I am that person. Like, it's funny because people talk to me about like your dog trainer, your professional dog trainer. And I think it's kind of weird because I always went, there's no NFL for dog trainers. There's no like you didn't make the league. (laughs) So I don't know. Technically, I suppose I guess 
if you're paid, you're a professional, and that's fine. I suppose because I'm paid for training dogs, they consider that being professional. But the reality is, is I, I just, I don't do that many of them. And the reason is, is because I love doing it. And I've seen it way too many times where people get burned out and all of a sudden they don't like it anymore. And my business is not, is not that my business is giving people the stuff that they, I think they need and can use to help them with their training. And so it's just a different philosophy. It's a different approach to it but you know you touched on the idea of you give away a lot of content i do i think it pisses some people off but i don't care (laughs) because 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 i look at it and i go i want people to trust us i want people to trust why we're doing it what we're doing and if i'm looking at like i got you know there's some people like there's relatives of mine that when i first started doing all these um live training things and start putting all these content pieces together. Like I was, I, I, it didn't take, like I was training the dogs anyway. I just simply did it now in front of like a a camera or a phone. I mean, it's so easy to do it now. So Mm -hmm. I was able to gather what I thought was good information. And what I really think people valued the most out of it was when things didn't go very good. And the reality was, is I wasn't going to hide it. And I think as a trainer, a professional trainer especially, I think a lot of times people are hesitant to show the stuff that doesn't go good. Um, They show what goes well and they show how good of a trainer they are. Well, I think that's a marketing angle because they want people to send dogs to them. And I don't blame them for it. Like you don't show the stuff that you make mistakes. I show the stuff that I make mistakes because I'm not interested in you going, I have to send that dog to that guy. I screwed up just like you screw up in in the, the the difference sometimes is, is some people don't admit that they screwed up. They think the dog screwed up. And so by me being able to show mistakes, I think it's some of the most valuable stuff I can. We have a, we have a totally different philosophy when it comes to that. And, but the, when it all boils down to it, like our business is driven by, I, I need to have people that trust what we're doing, why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's our goal. Like doing these podcasts, I love doing podcasts. I, I'm so glad you had me to do this with you. And as you grow this thing, I'm going to continue to follow along with it. But I like doing it because you know how valuable I think podcasts are. Now, I don't listen to a lot of them. I listen to a few. I would like to listen to more. I just don't have time. But the, when I'm in the truck, when I'm driving, I, I can get I can get so much information. And the beauty of these things are is, you know, t- take it for what it's worth. Like I'm not gospel. Like people listening to this, pick a few things out of it. Don't get over, like I, I'll do a seminar for an hour and I think people sometimes walk away. If I don't remind them at the end, don't be overwhelmed. I just dumped a whole bunch of stuff on you in one hour and you can't digest it and apply it all at once. Pick like one or two things from it and then figure out where you're at and then you start applying those. And then that's, a, that's like a link in a chain. It just connects to the next thing. You can have, links don't do me much good. When you connect them together, I've got a tool I can use. I've got a chain. And so all these little tidbits of information, whether it be podcasts like this or um, our YouTube stuff, we've got series on our YouTube channels, all that stuff. That's all just that's just stuff, man. Consume it all and then figure out what you what you're gonna do with it. Well, and that's your your point there. I'm I'm so big on just just look to people who are better than you. Look to people who you can learn something from. Like you you mentioned podcasts. Like I listen to podcasts when I'm driving, when I'm running all the time. And what I found is people always assume that I would listen to hunting podcasts all the time. And I really don't. I listen to some, um, but I find myself more drawn to uh, – just anything I can learn that's interesting, whether it's history or I'm obsessed with like uh, ultra marathon runners and that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, I'm never I'm never going to run a hundred miles in the mountains. I promise you that. But I love listening to people who are like, I'm I'm working every day at this crazy goal, and they're doing things you shouldn't be able to do. And it's like, it's so fascinating to me to to have so many people that we have access to now. And like, like you mentioned, you know, if, if somebody sits in on a seminar of yours, you're going to give them 300 tips on how to train dogs. But the, the, the gist of it is you could do better. Like just, just to take this away from me, like, or, you know, me as you, like you're, you're learning every day about dogs. You'll show your mistakes, which is huge. Uh, 
and just if if you take anything away from that, it's just that we can always do better. Like with the information you're putting out there and and the ability to listen to stuff like this, there's there's so many little ways for us to just bring our game up a little bit. And whether that's dog training or whether that's something you're doing at work or starting a business or who cares. It's it's amazing to me, and I love I love that you brought that up. I just I love that idea that you're sitting there going, "I'm going to show people what I do. I'm going to tell them I'm I'm not batting a thousand percent. You'll see my mistakes, and I'm going to give you what I actually have going on in my life." And I always think about that, um, you know, because I've done I've done some TV work for for the hunting world, and I've I've seen the sort of that side of the business. I've seen how the sausage is made there. Right. And I know, I know people who won't show misses, you know, they're bow hunting deer, a big game, and they won't show a miss. I know people who demand that this comes out a certain way to make them look amazing. And I'm like, man, are we, have we not moved beyond that as a society? Like we all know, you know we screw up. We say stupid things. We make mistakes with our dogs. We have good days. We have bad days. Um, we're just, we're, we're prone to mistakes. And right. I think, I think it makes people way more comfortable to hear you say that and to see that with you because you're right. They look at you and they go, well, his dogs must be perfect. His training must go perfectly every day. And that's, that's bold. Like it's, it's a day-to-day thing that has its ups and downs. And I I love that you brought that up because that's pretty rare. I, I shouldn't say that it, it can be rare for people to show the blemishes and they should, and we should talk about them too. I think it's the most valuable part for people listening. I think it's the most valuable part when people watch our stuff is that, and I, I, I shouldn't say, I think it, I know it because I get the most, that's what I get the most feedback on. And so, but I also think for me, it, it also acts as, um, for by doing that, I think it, it holds my, it gives me some accountability too. Like I, I, I don't like looking, I'm, I'm as competitive as anyone you're ever going to meet, Tony. Like don't play me in horse. Cause I, like I'm, I'll, I'll be <laughs> really pissed if I don't win. And so, but I, I, I'm a, I'm a constant, I'm constantly with the idea of improving. Now I used to be constantly with the idea of winning. I still like winners. I like winning, but I look at it and I go, I'm going to have to lose a hell of a lot before I win the big game. So my losses, I used to get so mad about and bitter about, and they totally throw me for loops. And I, and I, I was hung up on that. I still forget. I mean, it's like, I used to play cards and and like, if you play cards, like you totally lose, you remember bad beats bad. Like I remember all of them. I don't remember any good hands. And, and so life is like that for me. I don't remember the good stuff. I'm, I have to, I have to do better at celebrating little victories and understanding that that's a life thing that I need to get better at. But I also, if the, the minute, the second I start hanging up and and going, putting kind of even thinking about putting the gear in neutral because I'm going, Oh, I just, we just did this or we accomplished that man, kick me in the ass. Cause like, I, I can't, that to me is the moment when you, when you might as well quit. Because yep, you, yep. you just const- I, I just don't I just don't believe in that. And so and I, I try to like, you know, it's, these are big lessons that I don't know where I got them. Like my, my mom and probably my mom and dad, inf- big influences in my life. Um, my grandparents, like people that I've been around, I think it goes back to the idea of surrounding yourself with good partners will be surrounding yourself. You can't always choose your family, but uh, I'm, I'm lucky. Uh, I've had good influences that way. But I just think that. I'm, I'm one of my biggest, one of my biggest goals right now is, is our kids. Like I, I, I want to put good stuff into them. I want to give them tools. I want to give them stuff. There's no better way to teach someone something than by doing it. Like it's, it's so easy to have someone tell you what to do, seeing them do it, know it. And so, so I, I just don't, that's why, that's why I don't, that's why I'm not big on instructional stuff where I do demonstrations. I don't like doing demonstrations with dogs because I think it can be as, it can have as, it can have negative impacts on people watching it as much as positive. I think it's inspiring. I think it can be motivating. I think it can be good to have goals, but I feel like demonstrations with dogs are, are kind of just showing off what you and your dogs can do and 
the people, I think a lot of people that watch those aren't there for that. They're there to figure out how to get to it. And the reality is, is they weren't always like that. My dogs weren't always that good. Um, I'm not always that good. And so I, I think showing, showing that is, 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 is real important. And it's, it's a key part of like everything we do. Our, our licking stick stuff, like uh Hodeg, like, you know how many, you know how many freaking problems we've had with that? Like we've just had issues and they're not always under our control. Bottle suppliers, um, things that I don't, the last things I thought would be an issue when developing mm-hmm. a product like this and taking it to market have come up. And so I'll get on Facebook and I'll message everybody and I'll tell them. And, and I'm like really exposing it and going, Hey, we got, we had back order on these bottles. Our pallet got lost two weeks ago. So right now this is where we're at. And this is when I know they're going to be in Chicago. And this is when I know they're going to be in my shop. And I'll send you a picture on our Instagram story of me bottling these bastards at one o'clock in the morning, because I'm going to get your orders out the next day. And people get upset when you, when you, when you don't deliver, but if you tell them, Hey, things aren't going so well right now, here's what I'm struggling with. And here's how I'm going to fix it. You know how many people will go, no problem. I don't have an issue with it. Just, just keep it posted. So it's our philosophy with everything we're doing. What you mentioned there is as a society, we're, you know, we're obsessed with Instagram and everybody's showing their best life possible. And we only hear from people on their wins or when we screw up. And the reality is what you're talking about is just presenting an honest representation of you and what you can do. And that is, People are like really drawn to that now. We're, we're starved for honest representation of people who can screw up, admit it, um, are trying to work hard, are just are, are doing things the right way and being honest about it. And just just as an ex, a random example on that, I had a I had a reader reach out to me through North American Whitetail Magazine like, I don't know, a month ago. And it's, this is a guy from out east somewhere, and he said, "I want to go shoot a a big elk. I'm never, I'm not, I don't have a lot of experience, so can you point me in the direction of an outfitter who can pretty much do everything for me, but pull the trigger?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I want that name too." I, I, well, so I went back to him. I said, "Listen, man, you know, guided elk hunts really aren't my thing. I could probably, I could probably give you a few names to call. Who knows?" But I was like. Why don't why don't you think about this? You have limited experience. Um, you think somebody's going to be able to put you on an elk, but you may go on the most expensive elk hunt possible and still have to climb a thousand vertical feet in the morning before it gets first light. They're wild animals. You don't unless you're hunting them in a pen. Right. Uh, you don't know. You, you don't know. The outcome right. is not you know a foregone conclusion. I said, why don't you try to do an antelope or a mule deer hunt first? Get your feet wet. Do the travel, do the camp, do the motel, whatever you got to do. See if this is right for you before you take that leap because you think you you love the idea of killing a 350-inch bull elk. Everybody does. You have no idea what goes into it. So let's let's baby step this prick and see where you can end up. And he emailed me back. And I, I was kind of worried because I was kind of like, dude, you're you're living in La La Land here. Right. Like, look at it look at it realistically. And he emailed me back and he's like, that's the best advice I've ever gotten. He's like, most people just tell me to book and go and that I'll probably get an elk or something. And I was like, man, you know, you got to be honest about this situation. And so it was an interesting thing. Cause I kind of thought he was going to come back to me and be like, dude, you know, go kick rocks in the street. I'll hire whoever I want right. and go kill an right. elk, you know? And he wasn't like that. He was like, I appreciate the honesty. And Ooh. I think, I think people are ready for that. I think they're they're drawn to that. And I think that ties into what you guys are doing so well with all of this different information you're putting out there. Um, we're, we're just about out of time here, bud. Do you want to talk about, can you, you want to tell people where they can find you, um, where they can find all these different projects, your podcast, all yeah. of this stuff? Yeah, easiest place is probably, so So if you just remember Dogbone Hunter, because our website is dogbonehunter.com. And that's uh, product stuff. I mean, like webs- our website is relatively static. Like it's a it's a shop. It's, you can order all our stuff there. There is some information there, but um, you know, to, everyone is familiar with the uh, the the tools that social media offers us. So it's at Dogbone Hunter for our Instagram. It's at Dogbone Hunter for our Facebook. 
our YouTube channel is at Dogbone Hunter. And so those are our three primaries. Like that's that that is those are just such good channels for us, such good platforms for us to provide information. I think touching on circling back on what you just said is it, it, we I've 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 adopted this idea of we're going to document what we do. We're not going to create what we do. And so it's documentation over creation where it's not polished. It's not produced. Like I bought an iPhone X, which I went, man, like I've never thought about spending that kind of money on a phone before. This is a while back. And I went, this is ridiculous. And then I realized how good the camera is. And I went, how easy is this for me to be able to, so like the investment in that for me is the ability to be able to give you something through those social channels. That's palatable. Like you can, it's, better than some cameras like it's just it's a good but but the reality is is we're not sitting down and cutting it we're not chopping it up we're it's just we're just documenting what happens and sometimes it's going to be real beneficial in a positive sometimes it's going to be real beneficial with things that go wrong but when you look at it that way i think it offers just a ton more info in general and and a lot more value to to listeners or, or viewers. So at Dogbone Hunter is the best for the, all that stuff. Our licking stick thing is our new project, which is like a brand. Hodeg is the brand and um, that's deer related. So like, and you got deer people here too. That's for all sure. licking. That's all the licking stick. So, and there's crossover there. Like when you, when you're as small of a company as us, like, dude, I sweep the floors and I write the checks and I, I mean, <laughs> I, everything like, and everything in between. So like, between me and my partner, we run really lean out of necessity. And so, but like we cross over. So like my social platforms, the licking stick and Dogbone hunter, you're going to see overlap. I, I, yep. I made a mistake. I, I posted a licking stick video on the Dogbone page the other day and I went, God damn, I, I didn't mean to do that. But then I went, but then I realized I got a bunch more followers on licking stick because the Dogbone people are this, are hunters too. And so yep. there is, there is a, a crossover. I don't want to, muddy it too much because I know dog bone is you know, specific when it comes to dogs and licking stick is relatively specific when it comes to deer stuff. There's an overlap there and I want to make sure I keep those separate. Um, yep. but, but it's, you know, those are our, those are the best ways I think to, to be able to consume as much as possible. Our, our podcast is called, uh, well, I should know this a little bit quicker. It's called the Dogbone <laughs> Podcast, P-A-W-D-C-S-T. Yep. So uh, that was a, a viewer of our, one of our friends actually that came to a workshop, gave us the idea of naming it. So Dogbone Podcast. Um, I don't podcast as often as I wish I could. It, it's a time thing and I've, but that coming on, coming on here doing this is just an awesome opportunity. I'm hoping to be able to steal some parts and pieces and use, use this uh, in the future on some of our stuff too. So, but those are the those are the easiest ways. So they can find you everywhere. Dogbone Hunter. Google. Um, you can find anything yep. on the Google. Google is your friend. Well, Jeremy, this has been awesome. I'm really hoping in the next uh, two weeks, maybe we can get out and hunt some birds in northern Wisconsin like we have in the past. Uh, I just want to thank you for being on. I appreciate it. That was that was awesome. I hope you have a good fall in the tree stand and I do hope we get together to shoot some birds, bud. For sure. We got to make a, we'll make a point of it. I, I've learned uh, recently, I, I lost a, a mentor of mine, like probably one of the most influential people in my life. Just this last week, he was on a hunt. Um, and, and it was, it's too bad because there's times in my life when I get these reminders and that was a reminder. And so when we start talking about, you know, we, we should go hunting together. We've talked about it. We should go. Yep go we just have to and so yep. I'm, I'm making a point of uh i'm making a point of that room having that it's gonna happen like and i think you know people it, it's too bad that it takes that sometimes for me to realize it and recognize it but i'm gonna so we are going to and we're not going to talk about what we should we're going to and we just got to <laughs> we're gonna do it perfect man well thank you so much for being on thank you man appreciate you having me